You're listening to another podcast. A podcast about horror movies and scary things. You put your headphones on and enter another dimension. A dimension filled with zombies, killers, ghosts, and creatures beyond your imagination. You've crossed over into the realm of mankind's deepest fears. There's an episode up ahead. You've now arrived at Luke and Andy's Nexus of Nightmares. Hello and welcome to Luke and Andy's Nexus of Nightmares, a podcast that explores over 100 years of horror films and why we love being scared. I'm Luke. I'll be your host. And with me, I've got my best friend, Andy. How you doing, Andy? I'm scared. <laughs> Ter- so scared right now. Terrified, even. <laughs> that was my snaggle So, this is new. This is new. This is uh, this is new for us. We assumed we're switching, switching gears. We are switching gears, and and we assumed that that uh, nobody had done this before. Nope. Never. No. I mean, there's people don't like horror movies. No, there's not very many horror movies. <laughs> there's not a lot of people that talk or 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 uh, or write about them in any fashion. Um, completely original idea. Yes. Completely because original, we're, because we're geniuses. But we so. but we love horror movies. <laughs> so even though it may not be an original idea, it seems like a fucking great idea to us. Yeah, I was surprised when you you got so excited about the idea for this. I've been wanting to watch horror movies lately. I've been I've been getting back yeah. into them. Well, it's that it's that time. It is that time. I, I've, the season. I've just been well that too. I've just been finding personal time to to kind of to get to to get back to watching some of them, and I've realized how 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 profound and affecting some of them are. Absolutely. And there's a lot. Case in point. Case in point. The episode or the episode, the uh, movie we will be talking about uh, in today's episode. It is profound and affecting. Mm, indeed. What is it? Are so, you going to tell us? No. <laughs> Today's episode will be uh, one of one of my personal favorite horror films of all time. Probably, it's probably been in my top five, maybe even top three, for a good twenty years now. Good lord! Because I'm old. You are old. I'm old, and I've been watching horror films for a long time. It's true. And uh, yes, and it's a remake. It is a remake. Kind of strange too. Um, a, re- a, a remake of a good original. It's not like a remake of a shitty movie. It's not a. It's I mean, not a shitty re- remake of a shitty movie. It's a. It's a good remake of a pretty decent classic horror movie. I'll be honest. I've never actually seen the original. Well, I'll <laughs> I'll come over and spank you later. But for now, <laughs> oh god. <laughs> but the movie that we're talking about is 1986. The Fly, directed by David Cronenberg and starring Jeff Goldblum and Gina Davis. His his then lover, Gina Davis. Yes, this is true. Yeah. I think they got married after this, right? I think it was right after, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 87? Yep. 87. And then they they were married for a good three years. (laughs) Yeah, not long. (laughs) Uh, Not long. I would stay married to Jeff Goldblum forever. I thought, I thought you were going to say Jeff Goldblum, and I agree. 
<laughs> but also Gina Davis. There's I a, do love Gina Davis. She's pretty great. She's kind of fell off the I radar mean, in recent years, but she's, she had some great movies in the 80s. Oh, God. I mean, like, what it was it, two years after this? Beetlejuice? Oh, yeah. Another classic? Yeah. And she had, yeah, she had a pretty good career, I think, in the 90s. But, uh, and she was never, yeah. she was never, I mean, in this movie, uh, you know, I, we say this, but we say, I'm, I'm about to say this, but in this movie, she gets picked up and carried around by Jeff Goldblum a number of times, but she was never like, you know, even back in the eighties, she was never really like the damsel in distress, like, oh me type person. She always played some pretty, some pretty strong. Yeah. You know, I was actually, good characters. I was actually reading it, reading about her today. <clears throat> And I guess she's like really into like sports and uh, she's six foot tall, which yeah. I thought was crazy. Like, I, you yeah. don't you don't really realize it in the fly because Goldblum's like six foot four. Yeah. But like, I didn't realize she was that tall. It's crazy. <laughs> Goldblum. That yeah, was the most John, shocking thing. John. That was the most shocking thing that I read about in my entire research of the fly. That Gina Davis was six feet tall. Well, John, John Getz is only five foot four, so he was on stilts the whole time. <laughs> he, he was on like the big Frankenstein boots. Yep, he was just fucking just clomping around <laughs> the set. Around the set. <laughs> <laughs> Johnny, we're shooting, we're shooting the fly, not Frankenstein. Get those damn things off. Uh, so I guess we good. should say. This is a 35-year-old movie, but for, for this, not just for this, but for all of our all of our episodes, um, spoilers will abound. We're not gonna hold back. We're just gonna we're just gonna shoot right into shit and start talking yeah. about shoot right into shit. Shoot right into it. Um uh, yes, this is true. So for this one, um, it's kind of a pass because it's so old. Like if you haven't seen right. it and you don't know what's happening, well, you sh- you know, what the hell's wrong with you? But you know, when we start I mean, getting into newer movies. Yeah, it's your I loss. Mean, I kind of feel like I kind of feel like that goes without saying. Like, well, I just fucking like, said it. Well, the I mean, like the titles of our episodes are going to be the movie that we cover that week, right? So it's like if you don't want to know anything or have anything spoiled for you, well, what it, it's just common sense that you wouldn't. Well, some of the, the some of the but, other guys, quote unquote, air quote, some of the other guys will like talk about stuff, you know, spoiler free for a half hour, forty five minutes. And then they'll be like, we're getting into the spoiler zone. So if you don't want to hear anything else, go ahead and turn off your radio. And the Ghostbusters stayed at the club for the rest of the night to dance the night away with some fine, lovely lady. That was my Casey Kasem. But yeah, that's not, we're not going to do that. We're not going to put a hard stop somewhere. We're just going to fucking talk about it the whole time. So if you haven't seen the movie, just go do that for two hours and then come back. Yeah. Or in this case, for this movie, it's only an hour and a half. 91 minutes. Uh, it's it's literally like right at an hour and a half, yeah. Oh yeah, and when you, I was like watching it last night, and like every, I mean, it's like it's got that three X structure down, like every half hour. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like it's like I think almost to the minute, you know. I think is it? Yeah, it's either between the first. And, I think it's between the first and second act, or the second and third act. Now I can't remember because it's been a few days since I watched it. But there's even like a a fade out. There's like a complete fade out for the act and then it picks yeah. back up and it's the next act. And it's like, <laughs> I'm trying to think of which one that was. I just watched it last night and I already, cause it was like, that, cause that's when it goes into like the four weeks later and he's really progressed and you know, he calls oh, her up and yeah, that must be, that must be between the second and third. Act. I think so. That's when it kind of turns. Yeah. But cause uh, then she comes back and yeah, yeah, he's, he's really fucked up. 
Um, He's real fucked yeah, cause up. Yeah, like, because it's like the first act, the first act ends with like, is it the first act that ends with him going through the teleporter for the first time? Anyways, yeah. I guess we should talk about very briefly, but I think, you know. If you're unfamiliar with the movie. Yeah. I mean, basically, The Fly is, so like you said, it's a, or like I said, we both said it, uh, it's a remake of a film from the 50s. Um, I think the movie, the original movie came out in 58. Yeah, 1958. the original story, the original short story that it was based off of came out like just the year before, 57. Yep. Um, and yeah, basically, I, I haven't read the original story or seen the original movie, although I was watching... Uh, a making of like documentary on the fly blu-ray last night and it basically it like it did like a, a cliff notes version of the movie like literally just like co- like cobbled together like an edit of of the original like 50s movie really and i was like yeah and and just and i was like oh okay so that's what happens oh, i don't like, that's kind of re- i don't need to see ridiculous. it <laughs> yeah i was like i don't even see it. i just saved myself Although the, the original movie is probably even shorter, like yeah. 60 minutes or something. Yeah. Um, I think the one but, cool thing about the original movie, if I remember correctly, is that it was like, if you've ever read, um, was it Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde? It was either Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde or, or maybe Dracula even, where the whole book was just like cobbled together, like newspaper clippings and oh, like memoirs okay. and things. Yeah. It wasn't like... It was a story told through like third party sources, essentially. Yeah. And that's kind of how the fly, the original fly is. It's like a, I think it kind of takes place as like an interview, like in the aftermath of like all of this, all of these crazy shenanigans. And it's like kind of going back and, and talking to people and trying to piece together like what happened. If I remember correctly, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But But yeah, that's what, that's what Bram Stoker's Dracula yeah, it's very uh, similar it to that. It's like newspaper clippings and journal entries and things like that. Yeah, I that think kind of piece together the story. I think Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde was written that way too, where it's like, okay, it's like it's like newspaper clippings of you know the you know Mister Hyde on the loose and things, but it's never like yeah. it's not a narr- it's not a narrative. It's like a accounting of, but that's kind of how, if I remember correctly, that's how the fly plays out. It's like you know people giving interviews and telling the story, kind of, which for the fifties was a little different. But, and it's got Vincent Price in it, you know. This is true. Yeah, that's right. Um, but, um, yeah, so, I mean, the basic gist of the story is uh, scientists creates a teleportation device. Both, this is basically, the, I mean, the story for the 50s version and mm-hmm. the remake. Mm-hmm. Um, scientists creates a teleportation device and, and then he ends up... Uh, I think he ends up doing a couple different tests and then he, he finally, you know, kind of tested on himself and, and then, you know, a a fly ends up getting into the teleportation pod with him and fusing his like, well, and that's where it kind of differs between the the old one and the new one is the old one. It's like, it just like swaps out their heads. Yeah. like (laughs) it, (laughs) it, it, It basically interchanges body parts, you know? Yeah. Like his brain right. and his head goes onto the fly, and the uh, the the bot the bright the head and the arm of the fly kind of go into yeah. It's it's weird. Whereas yeah. in the new one, the new one from thirty five years ago, <laughs> um, in the remake, uh, 
it's it's a, like at a genetic level right which makes more scientific sense right i mean as much sense as you can make out of you know teleportation it seems it seems very plausible i mean it really does it, there's for as simple as they present the science they don't really like try and go in depth to explain it or anything but there's it's they present it plausibly i guess there was a couple things where i was like how i was kind of at one point i was kind of like how did how does a fly get in there and like he doesn't have like a safeguard and at one point he kind of explains he even says like it must have got in there and and it didn't pay it, the, the machine didn't pick it up because blah 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 like he, he kind of like has a throwaway line where it explains it yeah. and and all that stuff and he you know he, you know it's uh it's not you know we obviously it's teleportation but it's you know for 1986 you know it's it still seems fairly plausible for what it is you know it's not yeah. none of it's outlandish yeah yeah and they and like you said they kind of they ride the line there of like they present some interesting like scientific uh data and 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 concepts that are plausible but yeah. they don't go they don't they don't go too far into that to work because obviously you know, no. Here we are, thirty-six years later, and teleportation is still not a thing. Unfortunately. Uh, so, so I mean, you know, you kind of with something like that, it's like when you're when you're dealing with science fiction, and you you know you're trying to be, you know, you're trying to present a concept or an idea that is realistic to a degree. You know, you it it you have to kind of that's a fine line. To walk there with like yeah. how much how much do I how much do you really go into the specifics of it because you know obviously nobody knows how to do it for real right and so you don't want to present something in a way that's like okay that's clearly not <laughs> doable or whatever right. Right. so you kind of got to keep it open ended but um, they do a pretty good job of it yeah yeah so they he... have the oh go ahead I was just gonna continue on with the rest of the story oh yeah go ahead so he yeah he's he ends up swapping out with this fly and then starts changing on a genetic level and the rest of it is really just him changing into the fly kind of coming to terms with it figuring it out and then realizing that his only his only way to fix it is to then merge basically merge with another person to rid right. himself of the of the fly DNA, which would then yeah. obviously cause him and the other person to turn into one person. So that right. who knows what that how that would end up. But it's his kind of last. That's in his in his warped disease mind. That's his last right. thing that he can do to try and fix himself. And turns so it's kind his, of yeah. Turns his teleporter into a gene splicer. Right. And so, and so it's that, and then, and then it's really for the most part, it's a love story. You know, it's about him, him, right. and, him and this woman falling in love and, you know, kind of the tragedy that surrounds that with what happens to him. I do love my, my tragic, tragic stories. Um, it's pretty, it's pretty I'm, fucking tragic. It is. It's got, I, uh, it's got some, it's got some, uh, some, some smack. It smacks a little bit of the hunchback of Notre Dame, you know, at times where it's kind of like. He's yeah, locked up in his bell tower and she kind of comes to visit him and, but they can't be together because he's, you know, deformed and dying and it's got a little yeah, bit of that. Yeah, actually, I mean, it, it uh, there's a, 
throwbacks to a, a lot of like kind of uh, classic. Uh, I mean, talk, we talked about Jekyll and Hyde earlier. There's a little bit of that too. Mm-hmm. Um, a little bit of like the original Frankenstein, mm-hmm. um, where you know you've got the sign. It, it's it, it's basically like the fly is kind of like so Seth Brundle. That's the that's Jeff Goldblum's character. What a name! It's a great name. First of all, how many um, how many how many leading characters are named Seth? <laughs> Not many. And then Brundle just seems like Brundle just seems like something that like Doctor Steve Brule would say. Like, yeah, Brundle or just something something in a like Tim and Eric skit. Brundle. The, these are the these are the three leading characters' names. Are you ready? Seth Brundle, Veronica Quaif, Quaif. Kaif? Oh, and the guy's name is, and then know, Stathis yeah. Borens. <laughs> that, that name is ridiculous. Stathis. I don't know where that comes from. Stathis, Stathis or Stathis? I think it's Stathis. In the Stathis, movie. yeah. John Getz. He's Which, such a dick, but he's he's but, a dick in that movie. Well, he's do, a dick, but he actually ends up like kind of being a good guy. That's the one knock I would give to this movie. I I have one knock, and it has to do with maybe the writing, acting. The I've, got, I've got another knock. Mm. We'll talk about later. But go ahead. I was just gonna say, and and John Getz and 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 Stathis Stathis SB made me think of it. The first the first act where it's kind of like the love story of them falling in love is pretty has some pretty corny dialogue. It's fair and it's fairly melodramatic. It's it's not bad, but it's it's pretty eighties and it's pretty just kind of like you know, it it's it's very kind of big. And uh and John Getz and then John Getz's character is super uneven. He's like he goes at t- he goes from like just like being her boss, like a normal dude to being like this weird ass, like creepy stalker. Like when he's like, yeah. she's like, give me my key back. And he's like, I think I'll keep it. And he just leaves her apartment. <laughs> and then like, and then like, he's like kind of the pseudo hero at one point, And like, she like goes to him and like cries on his shoulder. And like, I don't know his, his, his reactions to things were all like the, that character was like, I don't know whether I hate him or I like him or whether I just hate the writing. I couldn't figure it out. But, but I kind of, I kind of like that though. I kind of like that. He's not one dimensional. Yeah. Um, I mean, you could look at it as being like a bit like, uh, what's the word? Um, I can't think of it. I mean, schizophrenic. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But like, but I kind of like that it's like, well, and I also think it was done in a way, I think that they wanted to like minimize the number of characters, which I like. Yes, I mean, it's, it's a very like, very intimate cast. It's really just yeah, the three I mean, of them. like it's just, just those three characters. Yeah, basically, and um, and so I like that. I like that intimate kind of nature of the movie. Where you, it's almost like a it, it could very well be like a play, like a stage yeah. play. You know, I mean, I, I'll, um, I'll I'll I will say like for 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 all my problems with it, he does his. It it is realistic. It does feel realistic to some extent. Like nobody is. He he never feels all bad or all good. Yeah, he, he right, re, exactly. his character reacts to the situation as somewhat you would expect, but yeah, it just yeah. you know you kind of feel like 
they're painting him one way and then it kind of feels like a shift and they kind of paint him another way and it kind of feels like a shift in reality it's just it's it's it is more like he's um reacting to that situation and kind of taking in the information and and so in that i'll give him that but in a little bit it's it's kind of the melodrama and kind of the the way the characters are posed you know toward one another that sometimes it just felt a little a little goofy 80s but you know they're and they're trying to a lot of they're trying to cram a lot in in 90 minutes too i'll give yeah, that too. i mean it's a it's a very lean and mean yeah uh, movie. I mean, it's very, uh, like I said, there's very few characters. It's a short movie overall. Yeah. Um, uh, it gets right into it fairly quickly, um, without, without ever really feeling rushed. Like I feel no. like the pacing in the movie is pretty good, you know, yeah. like, um, you almost feel at times, I almost feel like they stretched it to get 90 minutes. Really? Yeah. yeah. Well, the, but the yeah, pacing, I mean, like you said, the pacing bit, yeah. is good. You know, it could have been an hour and 15 and probably told a decent story, but true it's but it's it's got good pacing you know it, it's it, yeah yeah i i think you know the way i mean the three x structure and everything and how they how they broke that up yeah i think worked really well um but yeah i mean there's a there's a lot of reasons why to me it's kind of has remained in my you know top favorite horror films of all yeah. time um like I said, I mean, we talked about the small scope and and um, and the few characters, and it's, it's um, just very intimate, you know, nature to it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like we, like I was kind of talking about with like uh, re- referring to um, like Frankenstein. He's it's kind of like he's the he's both Doctor Frankenstein and the creature. You know, like he's he he's the scientist that creates this creature, but the creature is also him, you know, like right. it's one and the same kind of, and, and, and also obviously that's like Dr. You know, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Um, but I like those. Uh, and those are all like that, those two movies. And and you mentioned Hunchback and Notre Dame. Those are all those tragic kind of right. uh, horror films where like the, the antagonist isn't necessarily like fully, you know, although I guess even in, even in like Hunchback of Notre Dame, it's not really even, he's not even really the antagonist. Quasimodo, yeah. Quasimodo right? is not the antagonist, but yeah, I know what you mean. But I like that. I, I always, I've always been drawn to like the, that, those tragic, uh, figures like, yeah, like the, the creature from Frankenstein and, um, and Quasimodo and, um, and even Wolfman is also another one where yeah. you know, he kind of he he's the antagonist, but he turns into, or he's the he's the protagonist, but he turns into kind of like the antagonist, you know. Um, so it's very it's very kind of old school, old fashioned in that in that kind of way. Um, but uh, but yeah, the, the plot the plot is very simple in its structure and, and how it, and the science is presented in kind of interesting. Uh, an intriguing way you know it gets your attention right away it's it's you know it's just a great concept it's like time travel you know it's like yeah it's like the concept of time travel that's always so interesting immediately you know and yeah. people it's something that people all can immediately kind of like latch on to and, and um but yeah and i also think like the the performances are really good in this movie yeah um i mean Goldblum is probably can't beat it. Probably, yeah. I mean, this is probably like his best role, really. Um, yeah, it's up there. 
I mean, just the the range, the range that he, you know, presents, going you know going through his different stages and and stuff is is pretty it's pretty great. Yeah, it's impressive. So this movie took a bit to get made. I don't know if you yeah. read about that. Yeah, but yeah. you know this isn't like so. My my, you know, when when I think about this movie, I automatically think of David Cronenberg and how the movie itself is like this body horror. I mean, it's body horror, you know. And right. you know, if you're a body horror person, which I'm not a body horror person, it's not my favorite. I'll watch a body horror movie, you know, but it's it's one of those things that it gets me. Um, I'm I'm, kind of, I'm a fan, I, and yeah, it depends on the context. Um, but David Cronenberg is known. I mean, that's one of his things is like that body horror. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, and so you'd think that it was kind of like a thing that, but he wasn't even originally like this movie was originally written and and going to be directed and stuff by other by other people. You know. Yeah. There was a draft script that was written, um, and then and and was going to be directed. I don't remember if the draft script was going to be directed by Bierman. And and Cronenberg was I mean, working at on Total yeah. Recall at the time. Yeah, he was working on Total Recall, which which then obviously he didn't end up making. That went to Paul Verhoeven. Yep. Um. Several several years later, right? That was several. Yeah. Was, so obviously, yeah. Because this was, was Total you know, Recall early nineties or late eighties. Nine. Think it was ninety one. I yeah, think. Yeah, I think it was early. I was thinking early nineties too. Um. Because um, it was after it was after Terminator before. Terminator 2, which Terminator yeah. was obviously really early 80s. Early yeah. 80s or 79? Early 80s. Okay. Um, anyway, I'm getting off track. Anyways, my whole point is, so this went through multiple iterations before it finally got to David Cronenberg, and he kind of took the original script and and changed quite a bit of it and did yeah. rewrite it and did make it more of a body horror, like up his wheelhouse sort of thing. Um but it's funny because David Cronenberg was approached by, do you know? I mean, I'm sure you know. Uh, for the movie, to do the movie? Yeah. Uh, Mel Brooks, right? Mel Brooks. Yeah, I know. Yeah, that's crazy. Isn't it? I um, mean, yeah. And and he kept his name off the project. Yeah. Um, because he didn't want people to think it was going to be like a comedy, you know? Right. Um but he also year uh, a few years earlier um, had done had produced uh, the Elephant Man, which mm-hmm. was uh, a black and white, uh, you know, Anthony drama Hopkins, directed by David Lynch. Yeah, and uh, same producer too, uh, uh, Stuart. I think Stuart Kornfeld. Yep. Um, he produced that, and he ended up, you know, producing The Fly as well. But. Um, yeah, so produced by Mel Brooks. That's a that's yeah. a tidbit that not a lot of people know that this movie was produced by Mel Brooks. And from what I was reading as well, Mel Brooks was the one who kind of came up with the "be afraid, be very afraid" line. Yep. Um, I guess he was like, I don't know if he was like, I don't know if he was. I think they were just talking about like him and Cronenberg were like talking about like the movie, and and he was like talking about how the audience should 
kind of respond to it or something. And he, and he just happened to say that those lines, be afraid, be very afraid. And then they ended up incorporating that both into the script. Gina Davis says it, which I, I, I love that line in the way that she says it. And, and in that she moment, she kind of sneaks too, up out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. And because he's like, yeah. So the whole, kind of going back to the story. Yeah. You know, after he goes through, he kind of, he starts to slowly change and he's kind of like, um, he, he's just got like more stamina and sexually, he's, he's, yes, sexual stamina. He's, he's stronger. And, and so like, you know, which that's he, a great, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's great. I mean, I guess we didn't talk about like, he does go through trial and error with this thing where it doesn't let people go th- like it. it he turns a he turns a baboon inside out, right? So he he puts this baboon through, and that's really the most disturbing scene at the beginning of the movies. He sends this baboon through, and it comes through like inside out. And so Gina yeah. Davis is a journalist, and she's there. He's given her exclusive rights to document all this, and they turn it inside out. And so that's kind of the premise: is like you can't he can't send living things through. And right. then and then he and then through his relationship with Gina Davis, he figures it out. Right. And then he tests it on himself. He tests it on himself after she suddenly leaves the apartment and he is he's been drinking and he ends up realizing that he left that she left to to go to see Stathis. Right. Which he realizes to is break her it off. Former, yeah. To break it off. Um, which they'd already been broken up. But to give him like an like a ultimatum, like I'm done with you sort of thing. And right. Like, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna give this guy a story to you sort of thing. Right. And so yeah, so Seth is is kind of upset and jealous and drinking and he at this point now he has he has now successfully sent another baboon through the teleporter. Right. And it came back and it's okay. And it's just it chilling be- in his apartment. Yeah. He's just <laughs> hanging out in his loft. A fucking wild baboon. Which I was reading, that was another thing I was reading about in my research, was that, like, they had issues with the baboon on the set, yeah. because, like, it, like, there was, like, a, I don't know, there was, like, a, a an assistant or something on set that was, like, a short, shorter woman. Yeah. And it was, like, basically, like, trying to, like, dominate her. Mm-hmm. And, um, and... If if it was if if like Jeff Goldblum hadn't been there on set, and if he wasn't as tall and just a lar- as large of a man as he was, like he kind of he was like the figure that kind of he became like the alpha male. Yeah, <laughs> and like which is funny because like you watch the movie and 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 he like jumps into his arms yeah. and he's kind of like just like he's like like a fucking dog with like with Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, but um. Just jump that baboon just jumps into Jeff Goldblum's naked arms in the middle of the movie. I mean, if you're not going to watch a movie for anything else, that's what you should watch it for. A greased up shirtless. Uh, I mean, you see more. Well, you see about as much skin on on Goldblum as as Gina Davis. He uh, he has some very tactful smoke covering places through, <laughs> at certain periods in the movie, but not much. And just and just the extended scene in in, in his tidy whities. Yeah, he's just wandering around in his whiteies for a while. Fuck is what I'm thinking. <laughs> I love that line. Good for you, Jeff Goldblum. Good for you. <laughs> I 
I do love Jeff Goldblum. I don't think uh, I don't think we've really talked too much yet about how uh, just uh, how much of a treasure, a goddamn national treasure that man is. Um, He's great. There's a there's few celebrities that I really care about on any kind of personal level where I'm like, oh, I'd like to meet them or oh, I'd you know, whatever. You seem like a good person. Seem like the type of person I'd like to understand better. Understand me. But Jeff Goldblum. Like to kiss on him a little. (laughs) Want to see him in their tidy whities (laughs) But I, I, Jeff Goldblum is one of the very, very few. Yeah. Um, And I don't know. He's just, he, uh, he is, uh, he's just his own. He has a very unique uh, character. Just, very unique. You know what I mean? Like, and he brings that to a lot of yeah his roles. You know, um, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot, actually there's a lot of similarities between his uh, Seth Brundle and Ian Malcolm too. Oh yeah, um, absolutely. Which is kind of interesting, but uh, and it, oh, another weird thing, and we're just going really all over the place here, but. Did you realize that Seth Brundle's like main outfit? You know, he's got like five sets of the same outfit. Yeah. Did you Did you realize that's basically he's Mister Bean? Yeah. Like he he's kind of he has like like I think I don't know if Mister Bean took that from him, but he's literally wearing like the exact like he's like wearing the Mister Bean outfit. Tweed jacket, red tie. Yeah, white, white shirt, shirt, and yeah, it's funny. Dark pants, but yeah. um. It's funny, but I don't know. I don't know where the fuck we were talking. Well, and then and then the funny thing is, well, speaking of outfits, I mean, it's a good segue, but to to the next point, and that's so Gina Davis's character. One of the so again going back to John Gates and his crazy all over the place character, and he like tracks Gina Davis's character to um, this store where she's buying clothes for, for Seth because she's like, he's only got five outfits and I'm going to buy him some, some new clothes. Oh, yeah. And he like has this meltdown in the middle of the store, yeah, that was which weird. is, that is which is kind of out of place and crazy. And like, again, very stalkery. And then later you're supposed to like, kind of get along with them again. Anyway, I talked about that already, but she buys him, she's buying him this leather jacket and kind of, you know, it's kind of one of those that jacket kind of takes on this meaning in the movie a little bit where like after he transforms, it's one of the few things that you see him wearing consistently for a while. Um, eventually he goes to like wearing nothing. <laughs> and and for a while he's just got like dregs, you know, disgusting, nasty clothes on. But for a period, like he's like kind of coming and going and all he's putting on is this jacket, this leather jacket that you got him. And it's kind of like this memento, you know, it's when he's got the, he's got the swagger going. He's feeling good. He's feeling good. And he's got the leather jacket sick and realizes that there's anything wrong. Yeah. I mean, he just fucking at one point, like when, when Gina Davis isn't, uh, doesn't want, he tries to, so they're doing it on the couch and she's like exhausted. <laughs> doing exhausted. what, Luke? <laughs> Be more specific. Be more um, specific. And she's like tired and he's like, he wants to keep going. And so then he like. He's got that, he's got that fly stamina. <laughs> and then she's fucking clipping the coarse hairs off his back. And all oh. of a sudden he's like, he's like, oh, wait, he's all of a sudden he gets in his mind. He's like, we got to get you, we got to put you through. Yeah. The, through the teleporter. And it's like, we'll be that yep. dynamic duo. And, and uh, she does. She's scared. She doesn't want to go through. And so then, 
he goes off on this rant. He gets pissed, which I love. Like the, the those kind of like mood swings that he all of a oh, sudden kind of like it's beautiful presents there. Like, and um, and yeah, he's shirtless, throws on a leather jacket, and fucking leaves. And then there's like this ep. There's like this scene where he's just like walking through the city eating a candy bar and it's like this yeah. epic music playing it's like just just like bombastic like grandiose like like or- orchestral score by Howard Shore playing Good old as Howard he's Shore. like you know walking and then he you know goes into this bar and and that whole scene is crazy where he that I always found that scene very disturbing. That is the um, most. That is the most disturbing scene in the whole movie. There's, yeah. there's. So as far as far, so this is a horror podcast. Let's talk about the horror specifically for a little bit. There's some disturbing. No. <laughs> there's there's some disturbing <laughs> shit in this movie. Oh yeah, like some really fucked up shit. For me, the two most disturbing things that happen are. In no particular order. <laughs> I know I know what one of them... Well, I, I know what both of them are going to be. The first one is what you just mentioned. So he goes in this bar. He starts talking up this trampy-looking woman from the 80s, you know, with big hair and, like, you know, a crop top and, and a leather or a denim jacket on. And, um, and he's... These two guys, of course, guys are arm wrestling in this bar because that's what you do in a bar. <laughs> In the eighties, I guess, and he's like, "Oh, I'll take the winner," and and they they all laugh him off, of course. And he's like, "Well, if I win, I get I get to take the woman home for the night." And she's, you know, of course, she's like, "Well, who said that I'm gonna go with blah blah blah?" And you know, it's like, you know, that part's a little cheesy, but anyway. So he goes to arm wrestle this this big ass dude, and. They get going, and his hand. First of all, his his hand starts leaking, like pus, which I don't like. <laughs> which is so, directly related to the next. Which is directly part of the related that you to the hate. next part. Yes. So he's squeezing this guy's hand, and there's just this white ooze coming out. Yeah, just milk. And, and he's fluid he's coming. not he's not he doesn't look any worse for wear at this point. He looks like Jeff Goldblum, for the most part. Although his face is starting to get like he's he's getting a little of the fly acne going on, yeah, the fly acne there it is, flacne, flacne, and so he's almost in this guy, and finally he just, I mean, just out of no, I mean, it's fucking out of nowhere. There, it's just like a stalemate for like two and a half minutes. But the mu- but the music again, going back to the music, like Howard Shore's music is fucking great there. Yeah, and like it is amping up the tension. Yes, you know? if there was no music, it would look like they were just staring at each other for two and a half minutes. Because the they're not moving. <laughs> and finally, finally, it just the guy, the other guy's arm just snaps. His the yeah. bone just pops out of the out of the skin, and it's just poking right out. Just fucking burp, and he's just screaming his ass off. You know, it's just like two hundred and eighty pound guy just screaming his ass off, and he just picks. You know, he just Jeff Goldman just stands up, and he's like, "Let's." He grabs the woman by the arm, and he's like, "Let's go," and she just follows him out. Which I love. I love that he even arm wrestled the guy. Like he could have right. easily just taken the lady and like ran, right? You know what I mean. But like I, I feel like at that point he was like just like wanting to like show off his strength. He like he right. knew at, at that point he knew he already right. knew how like that he had like that his strength had dramatically increased. And what what we you didn't know? mention was that he th- he thinks that the teleportation purified him. Like somehow took out like had taken everything that was that he was and when it put him back together it did so with 
computational precision and made him like a better person. That's what he thinks is happening. Which is which is a really cool. I, I love that kind of yeah. concept. You know what I mean? And yeah. and how he believes it. But on the other side, you're kind of the audience, as well as Gina Davis, are looking at him, and you're like, "Oh, there's you can are you know something's wrong." You said tra- you've said tragedy multiple times, and there it is. That's it. It's it's the hubris. It's that it's that it's that tragic pride. He 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 thinks he's so smart and so superior that he's made he's figured it all out, and he's right. he's done so to the point that he's made himself a better person. And that's, yep. I mean, that's, to me, that's the best part of the movie. The best part of the movie is that 10, 15 minutes where he's like superhuman and he thinks he's like made the world of himself and, yeah. and he's, and it's, it's right before the fall. And right. because when, when the fall hits, just everything goes to hell. But it's that piece where you're just like, you're looking at him and you're as the, like you said, as the audience, you're just like, oh man, I know what's coming and looking at him and you're just like, you're gonna yeah, you get can it. already see physically. you're gonna get it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and then the next part that is the worst part is when he goes to the bathroom and he finally realizes he's sick and he just starts pulling his fingernails off yeah well because so they yeah so they they uh slowly introduce uh um a little habit of him as a as a character where he he kind of chews yeah. on his fingernails yeah and um and then there comes I know a another person that does that <laughs> it's me it's you it's me um but yeah so i like that they they i like that they f- like found thing like created things like that uh and you know mapped that out in the movie yeah you know for it to work that way um, they 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 really did they really did a a, a nice again for a lean 90 minute movie they they did a lot of good understanding of like what is it Chekhov's gun or whatever where there's not there's nothing that they allude to or point to or or bring up in the movie with regard to some of those things that doesn't somehow have a meeting later you know oh right yeah and that was but yeah so so continue though with your yeah so he, he he goes I was just gonna say he goes to the bathroom and he bites his nails and he starts peeling them off and the f- number one, the fact that he's peeling his nails off is just Disgusting. awful. Right. <laughs> but then he squeezes them. And then he squeezes his finger. Squeezes the tips of his finger and it just shoots pus onto the mirror. It's just like he's popping a zit. And this is, and and this, the makeup is, so we haven't mentioned the makeup and the creature stuff yet. But this is all done by Chris Wallace, who. Yeah. Gremlins, baby. I mean, it doesn't get better. In my book, it doesn't get better than that. Yeah, I, I think mean, it, well, that was is... just what? That was like a year earlier? Yeah. Or something? Yeah. Right? Gremlins came out in 85 or 84? Ah, uh, 84, I think. Okay. But uh, maybe not. I don't know. It was it was either 84 or 85. Um, but yeah, Gremlins, I mean, those, the puppeteering and that, and the creature stuff, I mean... I mean, you could you could you could watch a hundred eighties movies with gremlins like characters, and there's a reason that gremlins is the best one. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, yeah. there's ghoulies, there's munchies, there's you know, <laughs> the list goes on. Troll, um, troll, <laughs> troll's pretty um, fucked up too. Uh, but anyway, troll. I might have to watch troll one of these 
Oh, that's creepy shit too. Anyway, but this is where that's that's kind of really starts to take real shape in some of this stuff. And it's very disturbing. To me, it's very disturbing because he doesn't really look much different and his nails are just coming right off and he's yeah. squirting. And it just, you can kind of tell that it's fake. His finger looks a little like bulbous kind of, yeah. but for the most part, it's real. And it's, it's, it's like the shit that I have nightmares about, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then later his teeth, his teeth, he's like, He's got gloves on oh. his fingers, and then his like teeth start falling out. But oh, um, yeah, I mean the makeup effect is makeup effects hold up very well. Yes, uh, thirty five years later, there's really nothing in the movie that looks dated. I would say in, in terms a... of visual effects, maybe maybe the teleportation stuff. I was just know? gonna. I wasn't even gonna say that. I, mean, I was gonna bad, say. But... I was gonna say a couple of the full body suits. There's there's yeah. a couple there's a couple and not even like the final stuff like I mean like when he's in like full body makeup yeah there's a couple like wide shots where you see all of them where you're kind of like eh, it looks lumpy. a little rubbery but yeah 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 but it's the faces the faces are <laughs> I mean shit they're fucked yeah. up they're not <laughs> and yeah and uh, and yeah the uh, I mean while we're on the topic of of you know the makeup effects and stuff we might as well just kind of go all in um but yeah like uh the the scene uh the scene at the end when she like rips his jaw off oh yeah and then at that point then it's all like like goldblum is gone and it's all like yeah animatronic puppeteering kind of and so, like, she like rips his uh, Gina Davis rips his jaw off, and then like the I I always thought this shot was, it was it's cool and it's just fucking disturbing. But like when like his eyes when his head like because he like kind of sloughs off all of like the yeah. skin, you know? Yeah. And it just like it just lands with like a meaty thwack on the floor. <laughs> oh. And and then like but then his fa- the way his face changes, it, like it like pushes out his face. And his yeah. eyeballs like pop, his fucking eyeballs pop and like run out, and like, and then you just like have these like big black kind of like fly eyes, you know? And yeah. Like, I always thought like that that fucking shot where, where his face like transforms into like goes from like the somewhat Jeff Goldblum face <laughs> with yeah. makeup on it to the like just full animatronic yeah. kind of like puppeteering head. And that was, uh, that, was cool. that was an effect that they, um, I think, I want to say it's called a bladder. Like, no, they didn't use bladder. bladder. They didn't use the, That's what I was going to say. They didn't use yeah, a bladder. Yeah, they didn't so use that. Because... Typically, like for something like that, they would use a bladder to do. But they found like uh, Wallace and, and his team found like a different way to do it. And I feel like that's why it has such an impact. Because like I remember that. I've always remembered that shot too. Yeah. It's very. It has a very strong impact. It's yeah, just. I, w- I yeah, was reading. Ugh. It's funny because it's funny that you mentioned the bladder thing because I I was reading that like that was one of the things that they didn't want to do. Yeah, like, he didn't want to do that because it had already been used on American Warfare in London and exactly thing to really you know to great effect. Um, but he didn't want to do that because he just kind of he it, it had already been done and he wanted to kind of do something 
different yep. do it in a different way so it didn't look similar to something that had already been done which yep. was kind of so cool they, they came up with a whole new thing where it was like yeah i don't even remember i i read all about how they did it and it i can't even describe it it was it it was interesting and uh yeah but the you can see the effect on screen and it really pays off i mean it's it's disturbing and the final you know the final form you know the brundle fly that it yeah. that emerges is it's cool too because as you said in the original fly it was like they just piecemealed a fly onto a guy and a guy onto a fly yeah um whereas this is like at a genetic level it's like half man half fly and it's not symmetrical fusion. it's not yeah it's exactly. it's a fusion of the two and it's it's weird looking and it's you know it's 1986 but it's pretty pretty cool and it's pretty, pretty gnarly yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i think i mean i think that was like they they were i, I know that they uh and that was the other difference between like the the 50s version and this one like they really wanted to to keep Goldblum as long as they possibly could right as that character you know what i mean yeah and and so it wasn't until the very you know the, the last what maybe five minutes of the movie where he you know he fully yeah. turns into that and, it, and it's no longer jeff Goldblum. it's no longer an actor it's you know yeah um but they they actually even i think they even wanted i think i was reading that they even wanted to keep they wanted to keep him all the way to the very end but there was no way of of kind of the the stage that they wanted him to be like the, in the in that final stage like just couldn't be done with an actor in a suit or anything like that it had yeah. and and they they didn't want that they didn't want like a like you were saying like a, a symmetrical they wanted something kind of just like weird and off and kind of twisted and you know um, yeah. something where it was like okay that's not a human form at all anymore you right. know what i mean um right. and so i thought that was that was kind of cool but um yeah it, it it's it's it pays off i mean like i said it's it's weird looking and it's and then that's not even the final thing so then to kill it oh yeah so like i like we said he's trying to he's basically trying to gene splice with dina gina davis to return to his human form, essentially, to, to stop being a fly. He wants to get all human genes back. So to do so, he's going to merge with Gina Davis, and he's got a third pod set up to do so. Well, he throws her in a pod, and he goes into a pod as the fly, the, the Brundle fly, and, um, and Stathis, you know, actually rescues Gina Davis by shooting out the wires and, and, disconnecting her pod from the mechanism and the fly sees that and opens the door to come like attack him and as the doors open the sequence triggers and the brundle fly gets merged with the pod itself because the doors yeah. open and so he ends up emerging from the third pod instead of being spliced with her he's spliced with like this metallic yeah. you know pod and he's just kind of like this weird amalgam creature he actually looks in some ways it looks a little more human he's got kind of more of a rounded head and like a a strange shape but um some of that stuff actually reminded me of um like hr giger yeah uh, kind of alien like esque with like the 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 tubing and stuff from like yeah, yeah. the um from the the telepod definitely uh, 
combined with like the the you know the fly and and what whatever like that always kind of reminded me of like hr geeger and and yeah. kind of the alien design but i was gonna say too one of the things that i was thinking um and this is just this is kind of an interpretation kind of a thought more than anything is that like you know now where we are in 2021 if a if a movie like this were to be made my expectation would be that the the fly the the worry would be that the fly would somehow get out and like kill a bunch of people or yeah. or spread the disease to a bunch of people like that would be the that would be the driving force of the movie is that this creature is going to get out and murder hundreds or this creature is going to get out and this disease is going to spread across the world but in this movie, in this setting, and how it was written, again, going back to the tragedy, that's all it is. It's just, it's, it, there's not like a concern that this creature is going to like emerge and wreak havoc or yeah. that like, you know, he's going to kill a bunch of people or that he's some kind of monster that needs to be destroyed. It's literally just the story of this guy who just like, you know, kills himself through this experiment essentially and and is trying to 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 right a wrong and as he gets more and more demented and 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 his brain starts to warp and you know the way to fix that is to basically sacrifice someone else but other than that you know he's not like like there's not like these giants everything's got to have big stakes now it seems like there's no big stakes in this movie yeah you know like he might kill gina davis maybe you know, you're worried about that or, or somebody else, but you're not like worried about this creature that's going to be on the loose. And, and I, again, it goes back to the intimacy and it goes back to the tragedy. Right. Like the story yep. is, is there, the, the worry is that, is he going to be okay? The worry is, is he going to kill her? Right. Right. You know, those are the worries, not like and some it's, big. Yeah. It's interesting because like you're talking, you're talking about like, oh, is it going to get out? Is it going to cause, I mean, like that's, that's something that, you know, the, the Stathis character does mention at some point he's like he he's concerned about about gina davis going back and seeing him and and being exposed you know to whatever this may be and and he i think he even there's even a line where he says like something about it turning like turning into an epidemic or a pandemic or something right because it's like a is a disease you know is it a disease like they don't know you know and so there's you know there's that kind of element um you know, to it there. And, um, and, and yeah, I mean, and there's also kind of like the whole, yeah, instead of, instead of it being something where, you know, like you've got a bigger scale and you've got like, and they actually, that was something they were going to do too, was like, there was another, there was a, a deleted scene or a, I don't even, it might've been a scene that was in the script, but wasn't shot where he, he like, kills like uh like a homeless person or something yeah um and yeah and they ended up not doing it because like they wanted the audience to remain sympathetic right to to the character you know to the to to seth brundle they didn't want if they, they didn't want him to go too far and 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 have the audience lose kind of the empathy for the character because that's right. so key to the movie you know yeah, they um, actually they they did shoot a scene where he makes a cat baboon hybrid. Oh, that's right. 
as a test. Yeah, that's another, that's yeah. I watched that scene. That's a, the, that you can see that on YouTube. Really? It's on like one of the Blu-rays, and it's like this crazy. It's this crazy creature that like shoots out of the pod and like attacks him, and, and he's like he's like in like stage four at that point. Like he's, you know, in the naked stage where he's not even wearing clothes and he's just like kind of, you know, trying to figure out what the hell, how he can fix himself. So he makes this baboon cat hybrid and it comes out and like attacks him and he like beats this thing to death with a lead pipe. And then, and then I read about that. I didn't know that they had actually, I didn't realize they had filmed it. And they, and they, and they were saying that they had that originally in the movie. And that was even that not, not even killing this homeless woman, but even that was enough to get to kind of for the audiences to like lose sympathy for him, like just killing this creature. And they were, that was enough for them to be like, yeah, this guy's, he's beyond redemption. Right. Whereas, whereas in the movie you watched, you know, the way it was, the way it was filmed the way it was edited now, you know, he, you're pretty sympathetic to him up until pretty far into the movie, you know? I mean, even at the very end, you know, and that's kind of something that, I, uh, you know, I was kind of talking about earlier, something that a kind of a small gripe that I have with the movie um, is when, you know, she goes to tell him that she's, got his that she's pregnant with his child that's the other that's a whole other thing bomb drop spoiler alert yeah that's the whole other thing that fucking happens in this movie is like as if everything else isn't bad enough then she finds out that she's fucking pregnant right and that it's most likely his child and whether she was whether she it it was conceived before after he went through the telepod you kind of don't know and she doesn't know and so like that's a whole I mean that that that's a whole other layer of just horror right there, you know right? I mean? Like of a very real horror, you know what I mean? Right. Like, like, but like, you know, and so she goes to tell him, but she can't. And in that scene, I love that scene. That's one of my favorite scenes is when she goes to tell him, and she can't. And he's really bad at that point. I mean, he's like, he's like, he's in whatever you called stage four, completely naked, lumpy. Yeah. <laughs> lumpy, lumpy brundlefly or whatever. Yeah. Um, and he has this, he has this speech, uh, it, the insect politics speech. Yeah. And I absolutely, I mean, that's like one of my favorite, um, favorite pieces of dialogue. It's one of the movie. best. It's so and, good. Uh, he says, you have, you have to leave now and never come back. He said, have you ever heard of insect politics? Neither have I. Insects don't have politics. They're very brutal. No compassion, no compromise. We can't trust the insect. I'd like to become the first insect politician. I'd like to, but I'm afraid. And she's like, doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about. Right. And he's like, and he says, I'm an insect who dreamt he was a man and loved it. But now the dream is over. And the insect is awake, and he's and then I love this line and the way that and and the music that kind of swells at that moment too, where he's I'm saying he says I'm saying I'll hurt you if if you stay, and I love I fucking love that line, yeah, and and the music that kind of accompanies it, you know, um, and and so then she kind of leaves. And she's and state Stathis is out in the uh, parking lot of the you know of his lab the warehouse that his lab is in, right? And she's and she kind of tells <laughs> Stathis that she couldn't she couldn't bring herself to tell him. And Stathis is all like, "Why don't you fucking tell him?" 
the hell's wrong with you? <laughs> and <laughs> and so, yeah, she tells Stathis I, I, that she couldn't bring herself to, to tell him that she was pregnant. And then you see, like, you know, Seth, like, up at the top of, like, the building or something. And he's, like, looking. Quasimodo style. Yeah, Quasimodo style, definitely. And he, like, overhears. And then they leave and go to the hospital because she's like, fuck this. I'm getting an abortion. I can't wait anymore. I just saw this yeah. and I'm fucking done. <laughs> and, and then a mustachio David Cronenberg is like, I'll give you an abortion. <laughs> no, that's not David No, Cronenberg. he's he's in the, yeah, he's the, he's, <laughs> he's in the he's dream in, sequence. He's yeah. in the dream sequence, I know. But yeah. Um, but yeah, that so that whole scene where they go to the hospital and then all and then she's like waiting in the office or whatever, and then he like comes fucking cra- like Seth comes crashing through the fucking glass, yeah, and like takes her. I always thought that was like a little kind of cheesy. It's pretty mu- cheesy, a little much. And I was like, I kind of wish that they had just like because then he like he crashes through t- the glass, takes her, and then he has this like moment on the roof with her. Where like they just talk and he's like basically like oh why would you want to get rid of the baby and this is the last <laughs> part of me that's left of me or whatever you know and, and maybe then, it's fine yeah and then she's like ah uh, she just like doesn't want to do it and he's like uh, uh, okay he's just kind of <laughs> like he doesn't like do any he doesn't do anything right. like crazy or or dramatic other than like fucking following her into the hospital right. and breaking through the glass but then once he gets her he has this like conversation with her right and he doesn't do anything. Any anything else really crazy with her? He just like, oh, that's a shame that you're not gonna. <laughs> and then he leaves. You know? her, and then he leaves her on the roof, and he like crawls into the into his apartment. And that's when that's when Stathis like shows up, right? Yeah, and so and like, he like he's like crawling on the walls into the apartment, and then back and forth, and yeah, and so like to me that like they go right back to Seth's lab. I'm like, why did they even ever have to fucking leave? Right. Like I just felt like it was like unnecessary for them to even go for them to ha- have that scene where they go to the hospital because the thought of like fucking Seth as a as like a just fucking Quasimodo all lumpy and shit like yeah like, how how did he get to the hospital like he just like leaping across rooftops like running through the street like what <laughs> yeah you know like how did he get there like they don't show it which is probably for the best but like that always kind of was like eh, like this is sh- weird. I've, yeah. I felt like they should have just kind of kept everything there in that scene. Like they could have had like the rest of the fucking movies, right? Takes place yeah, in that right. in that whole area. Why do they it's need like to they, leave for yeah. for two more minutes? Yeah, right. So I mean, I feel like she could have come out and said and to- told Stathis, "Oh, I couldn't tell him." Blah blah blah. And maybe you know he he heard from the rooftop, fucking jumps down, grabs her, takes her in. <laughs> Has the conversation. Stathis grabs a shotgun that he inexplicably has in his car. Apparently, apparently there was a, like a deleted scene or something that he shoots Skeet. Yeah, yeah, I read that too. But they didn't. Yeah, that's not in the movie. I guess they but could have done a, qu- a quick scene where he, you know. But yeah, that, that just, was where he's just shooting homeless people on the street. <laughs> you know, like, why does he have a gun? Oh, he shoots homeless people. Okay. <laughs> By the way, where does this movie take place? I don't know. Toronto, baby. Is it is it supposed to I mean, I know they filmed it in Toronto, bunch right? bunch of Canucks. I th- I mean, I assume, I am pretty sure that because, that's where it's supposed because to Because Cronenberg is Cronenberg yeah. is from Toronto. And Howard Shore too. And they I mean, they grew up together Awful. actually. 
Awful. Awful what, Toronto? People. The I Canadians. Mean, can't be. It has to be better than than America. I can only point. imagine. Right? I can only imagine that it's better. Ah, <laughs> uh, shit. Um... But, you know the other uh, thing I hate about the body horror part. This is just a this is just a quick one. Is is the are the fly hairs that grow out of his his wound on his back? I don't like mm-hmm. that either. No, no. And when she cuts him, I don't he like that. Clips him like, ugh. Yeah. Him rolling over onto that microchip. It's not a microchip. It's a fucking macrochip. Um, <laughs> him rolling over onto that computer chip and it like cuts him is 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 uh is kind of foreshadowing to like him being betrayed by his technology. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's good. Subtle, um, subtle, subtle, David, real subtle. I, <laughs> um, so I, I, I did see this, this, uh, uh, connection. I mean, you know, going back to kind of like, uh, technology and you know sci- that the sci-fi kind of horror element and that connection and and also jeff jeff goldblum playing both seth brundle and ian malcolm i saw i, I happened to see this and i i thought it was, it was really interesting uh, it says thanks thanks to genetic technology and an insect jeff goldblum's character ends up creating a monster he cannot control but in Jurassic Park, he warns the other main characters about the danger of genetic technology, arguing that they cannot control the dinosaurs that were drawn from blood-drinking insects. <laughs> I thought hmm. that was pretty cool. But uh, Interesting. Yeah. So where do we go from here? What have, what have, we, what have we yet to talk about? Um, what, have we, what have we learned, children? What have we, lear- what have we learned from all of this? <laughs> Um, I, I don't. I don't know. Did we talk about everything? We didn't talk about the various stages of the makeup. We've kind of hinted at them. Yeah. Um, I mean, the makeup goes through various stages. He starts out kind of looking pockmarked and acne-ridden for a couple stages. He goes into a couple stages where he's like, where it's like a disease, where he's kind of like feverish and his hair is falling out, and he's kind of looks like a toad person and he's walking on crutches yeah um and then he kind of like comes out of that yeah she comes back at one point and he's like crawling on the walls yeah and he's like he's in much better spirits and he's like kind of he's kind of like he's kind of accepting his kind of the new state of things and (laughs) there's a and he went in that scene he like he like lifts up his shirt while he's out like clinging to the wall and he's like He's like, hey, what's this? I don't know. <laughs> he like lifts up his shirt and there's like this like tumorous growth. He's like, hey, what's this? I don't know. <laughs> well, that's the other great thing about like the movie is like there's a, there actually is a lot of like really good like humor. Yeah. Like peppered through, you know. Dark prim- humor. Yeah. Pr- primarily coming from, you know, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah. And um, but like. I mean, I think it's it really is important for horror movies to have a certain uh, I mean not all horror movies but I, I I think it does help to kind of alleviate oh absolutely the tension and the mood and stuff like that you kind of have to have that but not every movie 
does it well. Um, yes. And, and I think, you know, the fly is one of those examples where it really does do it well. And yeah. all the humor comes from a very natural place. It's not, yeah. it doesn't feel tacked on, um, or, or extraneous. It just, it, it feels like it, it feels very natural and flows with the movie. It doesn't take you out of it. Um, you know, talking about, was, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say that was one of the things that I've always thought about with horror movies. It's always been one of my benchmarks and people don't always, I mean, most people, you know, they don't think like, oh, you know, there need to be jokes or there needs to be levity in a horror movie. But it was something, I think it was in actually a Shakespeare class I took in high school. I remember the teacher talking about, even in Shakespeare's dramas, there was, there was some, there, he put in jokes. There was, you know, a handful of jokes, even in the, even the more somber stories, because, because without it, it's, it's, it's too hard. It's just too hard to get through. It's too much of a slog. It's too, there's no break in the dreariness in the, in the drama in the, you need that change. You need that light with the dark. Yeah, you have to break up, you know, you have to build that suspense and then break it somehow and then build it back up. Yeah. And so I get, I do get, and I told you this about like American Horror Story. American Horror Story to me is the prime example. I watched the first season of that and I was like, there's no, there's nothing. There's no fucking levity here. There's no change of pace. It's just a constant slog of just terrible, depressing, evil people. I was, and I, it's just like, I can't like, it's not that it's bad or poorly done. It's just that to me, there's just, there's no bad, there's too, no, there's no way. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's not to say that a movie, that's not, to, especially, that's a series obviously. And so it's not to say that there's not hour and a half, two hour movies that are, that are horror movies that, you know, have very little levity in them that aren't still great. I mean, Rosemary's Baby is not a fucking laugh fest. You know, there's there's a little bit of you know there's some breaks in the in the tension in that movie, but not a lot. Yeah. But at the same time, there's got to be something. You know, there's got to be a human element. There's got to be, and as you said, this movie does it well. You know, this movie. Yeah. yeah. It's got a human element that kind of breaks that a little bit, and it's got you know some, it's got some dark humor that, yeah. that can help with that. I I like the the, the morbid humor that comes yeah. from from um jeff Goldblum, which is a very that's like a, a very real thing i mean like because right that's that's the other thing that we we haven't really talked about too much but like you know a lot of like what this movie is a it, you know is a metaphor for is like terminal illness right um and and that's what kind of cronenberg intended it to be um both you know a meditation on the effects of the person who is going through it personally but also like loved ones right you know friends friends and families that are having to see this and so you know in this movie you you see it you kind of get both you you see it from from seth's seth's perspective you know and even like the scene where he like first kind of realizes like you know when his he pulls his nails off and it's it's in the bathroom and and cronenberg said he did that for a reason because that's the bathroom is kind of the place that, like, sadly, is where a lot of people realize something's wrong with their body. You know, right. they realize that, oh, there's, like, 
they see something on themselves when they're getting into the shower or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, and so like he specifically right. had that scene take place in the bathroom where he kind of finally realizes, oh shit, like something's wrong. I'm not right. I'm not healthy. And, and so, you know, uh, but so he, he kind of meant it as a, as a more general kind of metaphor for terminal illness and just aging and dying but a lot of people, when the movie came out, and, and that's the other thing we haven't really talked about, the movie was really successful when it first came. When it came out, it was like, it was very successful. It made a lot of money. And, I mean, you look at this movie now and you're like, man, it's that's kind of surprising. Like, right. this, came, this came out in 1986 and, like, this was a huge hit. Like, people, like, both critics and audiences, like, loved this movie. And it grossed, like, over $60 million on a $9 million budget. And, um... And it was it was Cronenberg's biggest. I mean, I think even still today, it was his biggest commercial success. Oh, and, I'm sure. Um, but another thing that you have to remember is that this this came out in '86, and that's when like AIDS was, yeah, a, a big thing. I mean, it was becoming kind of like an epidemic in the, in the United States, and um, and so there's there's you know a lot of people a lot of people that that saw it back then kind of compared it to that. And, and we're, we're seeing AIDS reflected in, you know, the movie. Um, and, and like we talked about, there's that, there's that whole other element of the movie where, where uh, Gina Davis's character is pregnant. And, and so like that directly ties in with like, you know, sexually transmitted disease. Cause she's like kind of freaked out, you know, like that, that right. somehow carried over, you know, to the baby and blah, blah, blah. Um, and so, yeah, so there's there's I mean that's just another reason why like the movie works, uh, just another uh, another layer, another level that the movie, uh, works on is that it's it 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 does make you think about bigger things more and, and also more personal things you know right like it it's yeah it's a movie about like a guy who got fucking gene spliced with a fly and is turning right. into this thing but like it's also like you look at it and it's like oh god like like that that's a horrifying concept of like realizing like oh like i'm something's wrong with me and he's like and even that there's even a line in the movie where he's like oh god is this is this how it starts am i dying you know when he after, right. right after he like pulls his fingernails off and shit and he like kind of realizes that and that's you know like that's a you know that's a really scary that's and that's where like that's the kind of horror that really Yep. kind of hits home you know yeah with a lot of people is, is is it's very personal and and um something that can happen that that will happen to all i of think us. one of the one of the things that i know a lot of people that don't like horror in general you know they don't they don't want to be frightened they don't want to they don't want to you know see disturbing things Right. Um, and I don't, I don't blame them. There are horror movies that I know are, I'm, when I, when I go to watch them, I'm going to be in over my head and I watch them anyway for the most part, but I know going into it that it's going to be, there's going to be something that I'm, that's going to st- stick with me. Yeah. But the beauty of horror, I think more so than almost, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things that I think are great about horror movies, but one of the, one of them is just that. And it's that, horror can be such a perfect allegory 
for some of the the more terrible things that we don't want to deal with. Yeah. You know what I mean? We can we can we can present something in a very outlandish way in a horror movie that is like very e- it's easier to digest in some ways. Yeah. Like this guy yeah. turns into a fly. That's right. fucked up. Than just straight up being like making a movie about somebody dying of cancer, you know? Right. And then right. when you start to kind of think about it and digest it, number one, it resonates more deeply because you're yes. like, shit, you know, that's, it's even darker. Yeah. It's darker and more terrifying. And then you're like, well, it's darker and more terrifying because when you're that person, that's how it feels. Yeah. You know? And, and, and then, and then you put yourself in those shoes more so than you would if it was just like, you know, Jack Nicholson, you know, has a growth on his testicle or something, you know, <laughs> I mean, it just, it's I'd just, I'd pay to see that. I'd pay to see that too. But I mean, it's, <laughs> it resonates more deeply because it's so much more disturbing because they make can it, be outrageous. by it. Chris Wayless. <laughs> <laughs> practical, practical makeup effects by Chris Wayless. Yes. Um, but no, no, I, I, but that's, yeah, I, but. But that's that's why horror is so profound. It it takes these things, it takes these primal fears, mm-hmm. and it it turns them into these outlandish, outrageous stories that seem really disturbing and really terrifying. But at their core, they're talking about something real. Yeah, and they it's, do so in a way that's outlandish and terrifying because when it's happening to you, when that real thing that they're trying to address is happening to you, that's how it feels. It feels that scary. Yeah. It feels that crazy. If you feel that small, you know, yeah. and it puts you in those shoes and, and we can watch these movies. That's, what's really scary is you can watch the fly and you can, you can digest it for what it is. And you can be like, well, I'm never going to turn into a fucking fly, <laughs> you know? But at the same time, when you start to realize, oh, it's really talking about, let's say cancer, terminal cancer, that could happen to you. Yeah. And, and when you put yourself into those shoes and you think about what he's going through from that perspective, then you're like, it's a lot harder to shake that feeling than it yeah. is to be like, well, I'm not going to turn into a fly. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, yeah. you know, even like kind of the way, the way that horror and, and other, other genres, but like, I mean, I think primarily horror um, can dress up, you know, uh, topics like that. Yeah. Y- you know, I think that almost makes it more effective, you know, yeah. as opposed to if it was just like cut and dry and very overt. Exactly. Like people would watch and be like, "Yeah, okay." But I almost it think it, it like yeah. I almost think it it gets it goes down deeper. Right. When it's when it's when it's not so obvious and because you, know, you have to put the pieces together yes, yourself. Exactly. Exactly. You have to. You you, have you to, can't watch the fly and be like, "Oh, this was a story about a guy with cancer." It's like you have to watch the fly and you have to. F- you have to suss yeah. that out somehow. Yeah. And once you've figured it out, then it's like, oh, oh. That's, yeah, that's interesting because like, because the way people are, like, they don't want to be told something. And we're living in right. that world right now. Right. We, we probably always lived in that world. That's just kind of human nature. A lot, a lot of people don't want to be explicitly told something. Right. They want to be able to figure it out for themselves. And so, like that's why horror is great in that way, in that it it kind of disguises itself as real, you know, tangible issues, and 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 I think people just respond better to that 
you know, when it's, when, yeah, when it's not so, and when it's not so obvious and they have, they yeah. kind of have to come to the conclusion themselves. It's, they yeah. don't, because a lot of people like, yeah, they don't want to be told, oh, this is what right. it is. Boom, boom, boom. And if it, if they are told that they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. But it's, it's much more affecting when you have to figure it out for yourself. Yeah. When and that, that I think epiphany. that's the thing is a lot of, a lot of people watch horror movies superficially and they're like, oh, it's scary and gross and I don't like it. You know, but when you realize that, and, and that's the thing is, I would go so far as to say an overwhelming majority of horror movies have a, have a, have a larger story. They're not oh, yeah. just, they're not just killing people there. There's a story there about that. It's, it's a, it's an allegory or, or a, or a fable or something yeah. that's there to tell you something. Yeah. And, and that's the intent and it's being told in a, in a, bigger way than what you would are, are used to. Yeah. And, and once you get to that core, that's where it starts to get, that's where it starts to become really so it, social justice is the same way. I mean, there's a, there's, it's not just, it's not just like, you know, death and dying and things, but like social justice, I mean, get out's a good example. There's, there's tons of movies that are, that are about that are, that are horror movies that are about, things bigger and beyond, you know, social issues, personal issues, medical issues, family issues that are all presented. And I mean, that's King, Stephen King makes his bread and butter with that. He tells horror stories, but his horror stories are really for the most part about people. Yeah. They're about people's relationships with each other. And the horror story is either a backdrop or a reinforcement of what's happening with the people. Yeah. Yep. And, and, and the other thing, the one last thing, and this is kind of a sidebar to that, but the other thing that I love about horror movies, and we're getting kind of off the fly, but, you know, this is our first episode. We kind of got to talk a little bit, of, I guess, in general, too. But yeah, one of the things I love about horror movies is their, how, how progressive they are compared to other movies. I mean, for, like, for example, people like, people like George, George Romero... John Carpenter, um, guys like that. There was another one I was going to mention. A lot of a lot of these movies, a lot of their early movies, they're putting in African American strong female leads, like things like that, far sooner than a lot of other people were. You know, yeah. I mean, Night of the Living Dead is basically yeah, is a is is a black dude and a woman are like right. the two main characters, and that was what nineteen sixty. Yeah, 60, I 67, 60, I don't know. 60, I was going to say 66, 67. Yeah, something like that, yeah. You know, and then you've got Halloween, you know, right. Jamie Lee Curtis is the main character. You've got, you know, John Carpenter's got a lot of movies where he's got, uh, you know, African-American leads or, you know, and there's there's plenty of others. It just, you know, I they don't get bonus points for doing things like that. But it's just, the thing about horror is it's it's so inclusive it's so it's so to me it's forward thinking in a lot of ways it's it's you know they tackle issues that like you don't realize you don't even realize it half the time right um and a lot of these guys that are making movies are just like you think they're weirdos but at the same but in reality they're really they're really like they're passionate about people and they're passionate about telling people stories from all kinds of different perspectives yeah and it's it's great i mean that's why i love it and the and the fly is a perfect is a great example of that. It's just a great it's a great story wrapped in the story of a guy who's turning into a giant fly. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, it's can, a... and cannot be satisfied sexually. <laughs> For a brief time there, he cannot be satisfied sexually. That's the least um, of his concerns after his penis falls off. <laughs> then he really can't be satisfied. He's just. No. Just in his medicine cabinet. Yep. There it is. The. There it is. The. What is it? The Brundle. Brundle. Brenda Museum, Museum of, natural, of National, natural, natural History. Natural History, yeah. yeah. <laughs> With his, first thing you see is his penis in a jar. <laughs> Don't worry, kids. Uh, it's hard to tell that it's a penis. You got to really be f- looking. And Andy it's really... F- it's Randy, just a fleshy... Andy's always looking for penises. <laughs> it's just a fleshy tube in a jar. It's hard to tell, but that's what it is. Uh, shit. Um... Yeah, I'm trying to think if there were any. I'm sure there were other things that I really want to talk about. Um, yeah, but uh, it's a great movie. It is great. Uh, I mean, we didn't really talk about the score too much, but I do love Howard Shore. Um, yeah, and uh, this was uh, well. So he and uh, I guess he was friends with with Cronenberg growing up, right uh, in, in Toronto, and um, they started working together. Uh, I think the brood, the brood was the first movie they did that they did together. Hmm. Up until then, I think uh, Cronenberg had only done a couple of indie movies, like really, really cheap indie movies, uh, Shivers and Rabid, and then hmm. he was able to get enough funding for the brood to actually hire someone to do a score, and so he he brought in Howard Shore, and. Um, yeah, interestingly, I, Howard Shore is an interesting guy. Like he, he, uh, he started in television, and and in the seventies he was like the music director for Saturday Night Live, and um, really? he also yeah he also did so he he did the like the the opening and closing themes for Saturday Night Live that they still use I think yeah he he did those and he also he also did uh, the theme for uh, Conan O'Brien. With uh, John Lurie, I yep. think, um, and he's done. I mean, he's done countless. He's done scores for countless movies. I mean, all over the place. You know, from Sounds of Lord Lands of the Rings to Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I mean, like he's Hobbit. He's I and mean, he's a great. He's a really great composer. He's his his work is. Uh, uh, I mean, it's just it. It's it. He he's one. I mean, like like a lot of like um, like a lot of artists. You know, like. I mean, like Cronenberg for one, you know, he's kind of fallen off the radar, and yeah, he, ch- he changed completely too. He, oh, I mean, like you look at his '80s movies, and I'm kind of go- moving on from Howard Shore here directly into Cronenberg, but like, like I love Cronenberg's movies in the '80s were were awesome. Like, uh, I mean, you've got you've got Scanners, you've got Videodrome, you've got The Fly. Never saw Videodrome. Scanners oh, really? is good though. Can't believe you. Oh man, Video Drum is definitely, definitely that body horror action going on. James Woods. Yeah. Um, I do like uh, do like uh, Debbie Harry. Debbie Harry, she's in that. Yeah. I didn't even know. I, I haven't seen that movie in a long time. Heart but, of Glass, baby. But yeah, he uh, his he, he did he had a really good run there in the eighties. And then he really yeah. he completely changed. Like, and you look at his movies, like in the '90s, like he 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 moved away from like kind of the sci-fi and the horror elements, and kind of did did some different things. But 
Um, but yeah, it's a, I mean, it's, it's a great, uh, it's a great collection of like artists that he assembled here for this movie. And, yeah. you know, uh, I think Mark, Mark Irwin, uh, was the cinematographer and he, he did, he had done, I think he had worked with, uh, Cronenberg on almost all of his previous movies. And I think he ended up shooting most of the movies afterwards as well. And I think, um, I think Howard Shore has, has done every one of, uh, Cronenberg's films except for the dead zone, which the dead zone, yeah, the dead zone will, that's one we, I want to watch again too. I really, that's another one I really like. Um, and that's the Stephen King adaptation. Yeah. Um, but that's a really good movie. That's a that's a pretty that's an underrated movie. Like you don't really hear a lot of people like talk about. It. I mean, it's Christopher Walken, right? It's Christopher Walken. It's David Cronenberg. Uh, the guy the guy that did the score was uh, uh, what's his name? Shit, Cayman, I think. Can't remember. But it's a really great Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen. Michael Kamen. That's right. You know who Michael Kamen is? I mean, I do. He's but he's he's the guy that did the the S for Metallica S and M. Really? He's the yeah. He did all. He did the the orchestral part for oh, the nice. Metallica S and M double yeah, CD. He, and he was a pretty he was a pretty good uh, film composer there too. I'm trying to think of some. Of the yeah, other he's stuff got he did, a, he's got like, a number of films that he did. Too, yeah. yeah michael came in yeah he did uh he did the dead zone which is one of the only movies only cronenberg movies that howard short did not do but yeah the dead zone score is beautiful i, I love that and uh yeah we'll have to we'll have to talk about that uh on one of these episodes here yeah but, definitely. Um, i want to see that i've never seen it it's good it's good but yeah i mean it's a yeah, the fly is is and probably always will be one of my absolute favorite uh, horror films. There's a few others for good reason that we'll talk about in future episodes that are right up there in that in the top three, top five. Jason X. <laughs> Jason X. <laughs> uh, but um, Ghoulies. Ghoulies. Yep. Munchie. Troll. Troll. <laughs> Troll 2. Troll 2. Um, critters. Critters. I'm trying, I, I'm like blanking on really like just obviously terrible movies right now. But but yeah. American um, Werewolf in London. <laughs> American Werewolf in London is in my top three. I know. Um, yep. What's the other one? Dracula? Dracula's great. Bram Stoker's Dracula. Francis Ford Coppola. I love that. What is the other one? It's American Warrior from... Oh, The Thing. Yeah. The Thing. John Carpenter's The Thing. Yeah, John Carpenter's The Thing. John Landis, American Warrior from London, and David Cronenberg's The Fly. Probably Which is... Top three. It, which is funny because The Thing and Halloween are not my favorite two John Carpenter movies. Really? You don't like The Thing? I just I didn't say I didn't like it. I said it's not my one of my favorite two John Carpenter movies. True. But 
that to me says you don't really like it. <laughs> if you're saying it's not one of my favorite John Carpenter movies, like that. To well, me for says, one thing, John Carpenter didn't do the score for the thing, which is like an immediate, immediate negative points. In my but book. Ennio Morricone did so. Yeah, he can stick to westerns. Yeah, there's a whole story behind that. And we will absolutely be doing an, an episode on the thing. So yeah. we'll get we'll get more into that. Uh, but but there was something that I was thinking about earlier. Uh, one of the reasons why I was so surprised that The Fly was as successful as it was when it came out, because that was 1986. And just four years earlier, um, The Thing had come out, 1982, I believe. Mm. And... Uh, that movie flopped. Like that movie right. did not do very well. Didn't do well with audiences. Didn't do well with critics. Uh, people like outright like hated that movie. Um, and it's just weird because I look at those movies and while they're very different in a lot of ways, like they're both just like right in my right in my wheelhouse of like right. That's my kind of horror. You know what I mean? Um, and so it's funny that one was so well, you know, received and the other one was not, you know, and they're because yeah. they're both like extremely well-made movies. Uh, the the practical effects ha- have aged very well. Um, just a lot of atmosphere and mood. And that's the other thing about like The Fly that we didn't really talk too much about. But like, man, like everything about that movie, just the way it looks, like the visuals the production design there's just a there's just something about that movie like there's a feeling a very tangible kind of like feeling yeah like when you watch that movie it's like it's kind of got that 80s kind of grime to it you know like even watching it on blu-ray right. it, look, it looks great on blu-ray you know like the picture quality is really good but like it has this this certain level of like I don't know what it is like there's just there's a very and I don't know if it's if it's the cinematography it's the production design if it's just that like the film the, the film grain or what it is but like that movie the fly has a very creates a, a very specific mood to me um yeah that, that is synonymous with like you know just the just that that kind of the 80s horror kind of grime and it just I, 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 I don't know I, I like it and I think it's very affecting yeah definitely but um, but yeah anything else uh, you wanted to mention about the fly I don't think so I think Jeff Goldblum's hair is nice <laughs> it's nice which stage is your favorite <laughs> which stage <laughs> I like I I like the way he looks when he when he gives that insect politician speech. He still looks like himself to some extent, but he's got like he's very deformed and he's got like his teeth are crazy looking and yeah. I think that's right after his teeth fall out. I think he literally goes does he literally go to the bathroom and he's he's like looking at his teeth and he like comes around and she's there. Uh he's he is looking in the mirror. He's putting away something else that fell off of him, yeah. I think. But it's and not his teeth. Okay, and she's there. His teeth is later. But I think, yeah, I think he still has his teeth when he gives that speech. Um, yeah. 
but yeah it's good it's good it's good so that's that's the fly it's, it's a great movie that goes without saying um it does and uh and yeah we're gonna we're gonna keep we're gonna we're gonna keep this going here and uh i think we have an idea for our next episode but you know what like i know on our last podcast we would kind of <laughs> say we would kind of say hey we're gonna do this next episode eh. and then we'd fuck it up and do eh. something else yeah so we'll just keep it keep it open-ended and yep and that's it. But we we've got we've got plenty of ideas for future episodes yep. and uh, old stuff, new stuff, yeah, stuff we've seen, stuff we haven't seen. Yeah, no no shortage of 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 material there for sure. So no. So thanks for listening, and I hope you uh, join us again for the next episode. Scary later. Scary later. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. <laughs>